Well, friends, it's good to be with you in worship today, both here in person, and I also want to give a shout out to everybody who is online or will experience this message on our podcast or on our website later this week. If we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here, especially at Christmas. December is just the best month uh, to be a pastor, and so I'm so glad to be in worship with you. As we prepare uh, for this Christmas season during Advent, we're going to be starting a new series called Choose Your Own Adventure. Do you get it? Adventure. I worked real hard on this or thought about it for a long time. So if you don't like it, don't tell me. Uh, As a child of the 80s, I grew up with the Choose Your Own Adventure book series. Anybody else remember these? There we go. So you you could make meaningful choices. It was like you were the protagonist in the story. And you could make meaningful choices in how the story would end based upon kind of what page you turn when it would turn to you when you had a, a different prompt in the story. You could affect the outcome. So we wanted to give you some of that same experience with our series. So what I want you to do is to get out your phones, and then we're going to text in to this number, 816-640-4990. Now, just so you're clear, like if you go to the hospital or something, don't text that number. It is not my number. This is the magic of technology. And if you text that phrase, the number nine, and the word song, nine song, to this number, it's going to give you a text, and you can actually choose what song we're going to close with today. So you get to affect the outcome of the story here in worship. Oh, see, it's working. There it go. Thank you for your participation. So I encourage you to do this anytime throughout the message. And here's the good news. If you're someone who normally, like, checks their fantasy football lineup or checks the headlines during the sermon, it's going to look like you're just participating. So, so that's, that's good news for all of us. So make your selection throughout the message, and we'll see which one we close with, because the choice is yours. So life in many ways is about choices. What we choose to say or not say, what we choose to do or not do. Sometimes we have a lot of choices. Sometimes we have fewer. One arena that we have a lot of choices is as a consumer. There are no shortages of choices when it comes to how we prioritize our money, what we do for fun, what we spend money on. And a lot of these choices are made to look as, tra- as attractive as possible by the different advertisers, by the different companies, and they attach promises to them. So these companies want to market promises to us that it'll fix something or give us something great. For instance, if, if uh, you could make the choice, it's not a choice I would encourage, by the way, but you could make the choice to play the lottery, right? And what's, what's the promise of the lottery? To get rich quickly, to be wealthy instantly. That's a promise they're making if you win. And that promise, that lure, keeps people buying ticket after ticket. This happens in other areas. There's food supplements or nutrition trends that promise us quick and easy solutions. Anybody remember the Olean chips from the 90s? Anybody else remember those? We're digging back a little bit here. If if you weren't born in the 90s yet, that's fine. But they promised all the taste but half the calories because they were using like a synthetic fat that they had made in a lab. Well, it turns out the human body could not absorb this fat. And so they did not inspire the movement that they intended. Okay? Come because you love the music. Stay for the poop jokes here at First United Methodist Church. (laughs) Uh, authors or YouTubers or even pastors do this. They promise us the key to a successful life if we'll just buy their book or subscribe to their channel or write them a check. 
with each of these things, each of these, whether it's the, the experts and influencers or the nutrition trends or things like the lottery or other forms of gambling, you may have responded in your mind with the well-known slogan, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And sometimes we have to learn that lesson through pain. When we're promised something and then we're let down, it's not easy. It can be really hard. And when that happens to us enough, we can become quite skeptical. We have a lot of choices in life, including how we respond to things that are promised to us. Do you consider yourself a person who's generally suspicious? Or do you think of yourself as more optimistic? What I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word this morning is the difference between faith and doubt is trusting a promise is something or nothing. In our scripture today, we're going to meet someone who received a promise. And I hope to put us in a position where we can put ourselves in their shoes a little bit and, and wonder, well, what would we have chosen, faith or doubt? That's our whole theme. Which, which door are you going to pick this Advent? And today, we're looking at the choice between faith and doubt. The book of Luke contains one of the Christmas narratives. These are the story of Jesus' birth. And the writers of the different books about the life of Jesus, those are called the Gospels, they made choices about what to include. And so under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the, the different authors give us different perspectives about Jesus' birth. And maybe the most beloved of those is the book of Luke. So this season, we start not with Jesus' birth, but with the events that preceded it. We're going to start in Luke 1, verses 5 through 7. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So with the information Luke gives us, we can place both the geographic location and the time of Jesus' birth. Judea during King Herod's reign. Herod was a bad, bad dude. And we'll get into that more later on this month. So Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they both, they both traced their lineage many generations back to Aaron. Aaron was the kingdom of Israel's first priest. And so all his descendants carried on that family business. Now despite Zechariah and Elizabeth's age, despite their lineage, and despite that they had this moral upstanding status, they had not yet had a child that they desired. So I want to recognize at Christmas time, it can be very painful for folks who have struggled with or are dealing with infertility or miscarriages because we have a lot of talk about pregnancy and expectation and childbirth. So it's just really hard. And the context in Zechariah and Elizabeth's time was, was also hard. Because having heirs, producing heirs for your family was a societal expectation. And they assumed that something had to be wrong with you or that you were somehow being punished if you were not able to have children. And Luke tells us that the time for Zechariah and Elizabeth having children had all but passed. And so while it's no comfort to those of us who are struggling, we can see from Elizabeth and Zechariah's life that even doing everything right doesn't mean that everything's going to go the way that we want. We'll read on in verses 8 through 10. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, 
and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the descendants of Aaron continued their family tradition of being priests in Jewish society. Now, so much time had gone by that there was about 20,000 of these people now. It's a lot. So they were divided into 24 groups or divisions. So each group would have certain assigned weeks of the year that they were on duty. So this is the time that Zechariah's division was on duty. And there was somewhere between 800 and 1,000 people in his division. And so I'd never really heard this, but this gives us some idea of what's happening because when Zechariah is chosen by lot, that means he had about a one in a thousand chance of getting to do the priestly duty that day. And this, this phrase occurs in the Bible a lot. They chose them by lots. And it sounds so ancient and biblical. I never thought about, this is more lottery talk than you'd hear in the sermon today, but I'd never connected the etymology between lot and lottery. So it sounds so old and ancient, they cast lots. They had a raffle. Like, we, un we understand that. Maybe it's just me who didn't quite understand this before this week. I don't know if that gives you more or less confidence. But anyway, Zechariah got his name drawn. And so it was his week. This was a one in a thousand chance. And even more than that, because his division was only on duty about two times a year. And so the odds of him getting to do something at the temple were incredibly small. And so this is it. It is, it is no exaggeration to think that this could have been one of the greatest days of Zechariah's life. He finally gets the honor of burning incense at the altar at the temple, but he wasn't ready for what happened next. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Now, people res angels respond to people all the time in this way. That's one of the first things they say more often than not. Don't be afraid. Well, that's because people were so freaked out when they saw him. Your wife Elizabeth, the angel continues, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So there's lots of connections being made here with what has been in the past and what God is doing now. Several times in the Old Testament, again, the first half of the Bible, God defies people's expectations by folks who uh, would not be very likely to become pregnant by having a child. So that happens many times in the Old Testament. Elijah is also mentioned. That's one of Israel's greatest prophets. He would tell of God's coming. He had done that in the past. And so this miracle child will have a similar role, a prophet who will tell of God's coming. What else could Zechariah want? He wins the priestly lottery, and that's not even the most unlikely thing to happen to him that day. He gets the promise of a child from an angel. So what is his response? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Womp womp. Now, my boy Mitch pointed out to me in between, this is how we know this is true. Because notice Zechariah, alone in the temple with no one else around, but an angel 
who would be aware of the scenario saying, well, I'm really old, and my wife, well, she's, you know, she's, <laughs> she's coming along. Like, how does he couch that? We thought that was really funny. <laughs> Zechariah has several excellent reasons to be skeptical, doesn't he? But what else could have convinced him to have faith? He is a priest, and he encounters an angel as he prayed and worshiped in the temple. But he needs to read the fine print before he signs on? That's not good. He's unconvinced. He wants more information. So to him, the promise of the angel didn't mean anything. He chose instead to doubt. Let's see how that turns out for him. Verses 19 and 20. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So this moment of promise comes, but Zechariah's doubt subsumes his faith. The promise wasn't enough. He needed more details. How can I be sure, he asked. Friends, that's the thing with faith. You can't be sure in the interim. That's why it's called faith, because the outcome is not assured. But I think it is important that we empathize a bit with Zechariah in Luke 1. How long must Zechariah and Elizabeth have been suffering for him to need even more assurance? It seems to me like maybe Zechariah took it as too good to be true. Maybe he had been disappointed so many times before that he just can't bring himself to hope. Now, that's impossible to say, for sure. But what about you? Have you been so conditioned to disappointment that you doubt something good from God could ever come to you? This is one obstacle to faith, our own past history. We've just been beaten up and disappointed too many times in the past to muster up any faith. Another obstacle to faith might be our current circumstances, and that could be individually or collectively when you look around the world. Like, if God is so good, why is the world in such bad shape? Now, another reason for doubt in God's promises are the character of God's followers. Many studies have shown that the hypocrisy of believers prevents other people from believing. The Bible tells us that we're like God's ambassadors Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And I would say, in large part, we don't always do great. Another obstacle to faith, I would call the future rationality. Like maybe you've heard the phrase, if past performance is the best predictor of future behavior, we may doubt things could be any different in the future. There are many excellent reasons to choose doubt over faith. But friends, that's why faith is what it is. That's why it's necessary. And, and faith in what? What are we putting our faith in? We place our faith in God's promises. For some folks, doubt is what they choose because like Zechariah, a promise is not sufficient. Doubt treats a promise like it's nothing. But friends, we don't put our faith in nothing. Putting your faith in nothing isn't faith. That's called a wish. 
Now, if you were here last week, Kiray knocked us all out of, knocked our socks off with his singing. So I'm just going to give you something to compare it to so you know we all can't do that. But when you wish upon a star, it's just a wish. It's just a cosmic ball of gas. You're not basing it on anything except what you really want. A wish is based on nothing. The difference between faith and doubt is trusting a promise is something or nothing. We put our faith into something, the promises of God. Henry Nouwen said, it's like we have received something that is at work in us, like a seed that has started to grow. What we have received are God's promises. At Christmas time, we celebrate, celebrate the promises of God, past, present, and future. We celebrate that to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so our faith is in the promise that Jesus really was born and really did come to live as one of us. We put our faith in the promise that Jesus was who he said he was and that he will not leave us as orphans and that he told us, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Zechariah received a promise and doubtedly dismissed it as nothing. Now he was struck unable to speak. Does that seem a bit harsh to you? Maybe, but there's some mystery here. I like to think that because Zechariah would have been in the temple way longer than it took to light some incense, when he came out, he couldn't have described it to the other worshipers if he tried. And I love what I read from poet Kathleen Norris. She said that Zechariah's silence until his son John's birth gave Zechariah a pregnancy of his own. I read Zechariah's punishment as a grace and that he could not say anything to further compound his initial arrogance when confronted with mystery. When he does speak again, it is to praise God. He's had nine months to think it over. Woo! That's the moment when Zechariah speaks again, by the way. The announcement that his son's name is John months after this episode. Now what we don't get in Luke chapter 1, is Zechariah delivering this news to Elizabeth in the game of charades he had to have played in order to tell her that an angel told him they'd be pregnant. And what we don't get, you and I, what we don't often get anyway, I'm assuming, is direct contact from an angel. And so how much harder is it to have faith when we haven't had the same encounter Zechariah did with a divine being? Friends, we may not have won the angelic lottery like Zechariah, but we have the scriptures. We have access to the Holy Spirit. And we have the community of the church. Friends, that's why we worship, to gather around and celebrate and remind ourselves of the promises of God. Like I would really actually encourage you to take a look around because we gather in worship and it's a reminder that we're not the only weirdo trying to live out this faith. Every week, it's a celebration and a reminder of the promises of God. And we give thanks for the good gifts from God in our lives, and we cling to this faith, and we watch for the light in the night of winter, if that's where you find yourself. 
And so what is one faithful step you could take this week? What does that look like for you? Now, maybe like Zechariah, you have the audacity to keep showing up for duty, even if what you've been praying for has not been on your preferred timeline. And so if that's you today, my message to you, my encouragement to you, keep going. Maybe like Zechariah, instead of pushing for more information, you wait quietly to calm the chaos in your soul. Friends, each of us probably have several excellent reasons to doubt. But the choice is ours. The promises of God are made to each of us. Will we trust that they are something or dismiss them as nothing? That's the difference between faith and doubt. And so this Christmas season, which door will you choose? And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you, to give you our attention, to give you our praise, and to read from your word. God, we give you thanks for Zechariah all those centuries ago and the witness he is to your faithfulness and to the choice that's before each of us every day. God, give us your Holy Spirit to enable us to choose to continually place our faith in you, that your promises would be on our mind and on our hearts so that when those obstacles of doubt come, they can be overcome. God, thank you for this season of preparation where we can anticipate the joy of Jesus' birth. May we choose every day to walk through the door of faith and trust that you will lead us in what lies behind it. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.